Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. An associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Okay, here is what you will be hearing about today from the mainstream media. You'll be hearing about Lindsey Graham introducing a bill to ban abortion after 15 weeks nationally, except in cases of incest or the life of the mother. And you will be hearing about the uh, uh, primary victories of several very Trumpy candidates, particularly in New Hampshire, the senatorial candidate, um, Bolduck and the congressional candidate Caroline Levitt, who herself was running against another very Trumpy candidate, but she was either Trumpier or younger or blonder or prettier or more extreme. I don't even know. Okay, so here's what you're going to be hearing about. Oh, what a gift. What a gift to the to the Democrats. Lindsey Graham was trying to talk about abortion and helping the Democrats and the Republicans have nominated more extreme candidates. And in a poll taken by a Republican polling company in battleground states, 51% of people say that Republicans are more extreme than Democrats on abortion. 32% say Democrats are more extreme than Republicans on abortion. So you can see, boy, this is a great issue for them and all that. That's what you're going to hear from the mainstream media today just from you know from stem to stern also the my pillow guy had his phone taken that's another big thing the my pillow guy had his phone taken because of course of these 40 subpoenas being served on people who were involved or supposedly involved in planning january 6th uh, all these subpoenas seem to have been issued last week in an effort to meet um the justice department's guideline that uh, politically sensitive cases should be suspended uh, 60 days before any election. And so these uh, subpoenas were supposedly served, um, you know, to meet that deadline since the election is in eight weeks or whatever. Okay. That's what you're going to hear about today. Uh, what you're not going to hear about today, or you're going to hear a lot less about today, or you're going to hear about grudgingly today is the fact that um, the Dow Jones average had its worst day in two years because of the inflation numbers we talked about yesterday. Inflation running at 8.3%. It was expected to be 8.1% month, you know, month to month, year over year, annualized. Um, and that while gas prices are falling, and that's one of the reasons that the number wasn't so bad, uh, other other consumer products <clears throat> are going through the roof. And Axios has a very interesting little detail, which is that they're especially going through the roof in at least two places where there are key Senate races. That is Phoenix and Atlanta. So Phoenix and Atlanta uh, are the two metropolitan areas in the country with the highest month over month and annualized inflation rates, well over 12%. Uh, Phoenix, 13%. Atlanta, 11.7%. Seattle, by the way, where there is a competitive, a surprisingly competitive Senate race between Patty Murray and Tiffany Smiley, the Republican, 9%. You know the you know where it's low, New York, <laughs> six. I mean, relatively speaking, uh, if the average U.S. average is eight point three percent, New York is six point six percent. So once again, we have 
uh, me, the media capital not feeling the the heat the way uh, you're feeling it in Phoenix or Atlanta. And of course, there are the Mark Kelly versus um, uh, Blake Masters race in the Senate uh, in Arizona, and the and the Herschel Walker versus um, Raphael Warnock race in Georgia. Okay, so uh, what do you think of this? Spin? Like, are they going to get away with it? That's really the question. Are they going to get away with attempting to downpedal uh, the fact that um, inflation continues to be a major crisis not seen at this level in this country in four decades? Or are they going to be able to say that a bill that has no chance of passage or even consideration in the Senate or in the House, one way or the other, maybe in the House there'll be some, there is a bill, there is a House companion bill to Lindsey Graham's supposed bill, which doesn't exist yet, by the way, but there is a Chris Smith of New Jersey, who is the most stalwart pro-lifer in the House, um, has some companion bill with a 15-week ban. So it's just maybe. I mean, it's I just can I can easily see this issue fading away uh, in the next couple of weeks. And Democrats will do their best to keep it alive. And Lindsey Graham sort of has stepped on this strange landmine. Um, But Democrats are going to encounter. uh, Yesterday, I was kind of uh, lamenting uh, Lindsey Graham's decision to abandon his previous position, which is the position of most of the Republicans in the Senate conference, that this is a state's issue, this is not a federal issue, which Democrats want it to be a federal issue, and conceding that it's a federal issue advances Democrats' agenda, blah, blah, blah. But the reaction to a 15-week ban, which is pretty close to where the nation is and an equilibrium that was arrested by Roe, we would have probably gotten there eventually. Um, And the reaction from from Democrats has been uh, to really expose, finally, for the first time since the Dobbs decision came down, where the left is on abortion, which is just as outside the American mainstream as pro-lifers, doctrine are pro-lifers. Uh, so there's a bit of a trap there for Democrats, but I don't suppose that it's going to be the dominant issue in November. Yesterday demonstrated that the dominant issue is the economy. It has been the economy for 18 months. It will continue to be the economy. And Democrats are tempting the gods. The gods are angry with them fate, which has given them the last eight weeks that they've enjoyed. Democrats didn't engineer Donald Trump's reemergence on the national stage, uh, conspiracy theories notwithstanding. Uh, they benefited from the uh, the workings of machinations that they had no control over, just events landed in their lap. And they did not make the most of them. They sort of convinced themselves that they were responsible for their good fortune. They weren't. And what the gods give, they can take away. And I think we're witnessing this ebbing effect with a the looming rail strike on the horizon suggests that uh, there's there are forces at work beyond our understanding of the universe that have it out for Democrats. I mean, yesterday was, I think, a big momentum killer for them because uh, the press did notice, shockingly. Um, I saw a number of headlines to the effect of Biden celebrates at the White House, celebrates the Inflation Reduction Act as prices soar. Um, That was Reuters, Reuters, of all all places. Even the New York Times had something to that effect as well. Yeah, I mean, would they have written that in the absence of this inflation party that the White House threw them for themselves? Right, right. Your grocery bill's high. Let's party. I mean, it is kind of we talked about the optics of it yesterday. But the other thing that the White House seems not to realize is that by having that 
party and and telling seemingly telling everybody who attended to put their to to take a selfie and post it on their social media accounts. We also remind they also reminded the American people that you know who's really really cozy with the White House, who's there all the time, hanging out with Dr. Jill and the president. Oh, the head of one of the teachers' unions, Randy Weingarten's face popped up in a lot of those. A lot of other union leaders were there, and you know they very proudly said, "Like, look at unions in the house. Here we all are partying." Well, their members are the people who are suffering a lot right now at the grocery store checkout lines. I mean, the idea that they should be celebrating how well they did when this was an avoidable. Uh, an avoidable policy failure on the part of the Biden administration is is pretty rich. Are they scheduled a bad pun? <laughs> they scheduled the the inflation party on the day that they were going to get an inflation report. They knew right. that this coincided with that. They expected a good one. They got a bad one, and the market and, tanked, but still did it. But it's still like, um, well, it. you can cancel it once you well, you can cancel it. You can about the soul of America, tone, Noah. There's a tone the that you well, can adopt talk about- on a day of sad news that communicates something less than ebullience over what is bad news for the rest of the country. They tempted the press to do their job. But the, it's it's like um, George W. Bush's mission accomplished moment, except that took weeks and months <laughs> to to like, you know, become become a gaffe, become become a mistake because, you know, it took weeks and months for the situation in Iraq to unravel. This was sort of real time simultaneously undoing the celebration. Yeah, the Chiron yeah. was showing yeah. the market tanking while he's up there in his aviators yeah. going, we did it. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it would literally be like having a mission accomplished banner at the White House on the day that the pl- that the planes are trying to take off from Kabul. I mean, that's the that's the analogy you have. You 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 miss you mislabel the cynically um, a spending bill uh, as the Inflation Reduction Act. And then you want to celebrate the signing of the bill and the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Can, and, can I also um, I just yeah. interrupt to say this was also about climate change, remember? And guess who hopped on Air Force One to fly to Delaware to cast a ballot when he could have cast an absentee ballot? The president of the United States. So just well, just look, if you, those if of you they, worried about emissions, you know, if they were a having a big party to celebrate the biggest climate change bill in history, that would be something else. But it wasn't a climate change bill, right? They didn't pass a climate change bill. They passed something they called the Inflation Reduction Act. And they gave the press this opportunity to split screen this moment against the collapse of the markets. I mean, we've talked about how much the press is in the tank for Democrats. It's not new, and we know it, and it's obvious. They're doing everything they can to advance Democratic prospects. But you you can't tempt them like that. The drama of it will always win out. They have a fiduciary responsibility in, to a certain degree, and that's just, it's too tempting to ignore. A lot of them I, cut away I, from his talk, actually, <laughs> noticeably. A lot of the cable news, when he yeah. started talking, they cut away back to regular yeah. programming. But I, I I do think it's important to note that what I, the way I framed this at the beginning is real. Like uh, the the effort will continue to be made to say that the important and notable events of yesterday were, were Bulldock's, uh, victory in the primary and Lindsey Graham's 15 week abortion ban bill. Um, and, and that, that is the narrative that is going to be pursued on CNN and on MSNBC is my, is my guess. Um, certainly uh, what you, you, you have the interesting phenomenon that um, there has been a slight shift in the atmosphere in the Senate races Uh uh, there have been a couple of favorable polls for Herschel Walker, for example. 
um, who at, at, at the very least at this moment has to be judged in, you know, a 50-50 shot to win, if not better. Um, uh, and I noted in the New York Times and in the incredibly tendentious uh, Jonathan Weissman, who has now become some kind of a news analyst uh, of, of Congress after having written maybe the worst <laughs> book on anti-Semitism ever published in the United States, um, that he he said uh, he said that uh, J.D. Vance in Ohio has yet to establish any kind of a noticeable lead uh, in the polling uh, in a state that Trump won by eight. What kind of framing is that? Like, is he losing or is he winning? Like you're you're gonna say, I mean, I granted, like Van should be the Republicans should be running away with that race in Ohio. Um, there are various reasons why maybe the Republicans aren't winning, but um, but the the point here is that the idea that Republicans are running bad candidates who are weak, which is true, uh, is you, you know that you can therefore say, well, I'm not gonna really use adduce any um, you know facts from actual data i'm just going to sort of assert that what the argument that we have been making for the last month to six weeks is still is still in place even when facts on the ground seem to be beginning to change some and um i'm sorry the democrats just the democrats keep getting bad news the republicans keep screwing up but they can i just add one yeah. thing about the bolduck race they keep getting bad news yeah but they funded that race. They funded right. that opponent. It was Schumer's PAC that spent millions of dollars to support the MAGA candidate, just like they did in other races. And so that's another example, the, the sort of gaslighting, I, I hate to use that word, it was overused during the Trump administration, but between Biden's celebratory, you know, inflation's over moment yesterday and that primary victory win where everyone's now suddenly like democracy in peril again. I'm like, okay, stop. We know this is, we know you're lying to us. These are lies. So, you know, People aren't stupid. And in now New they Hampshire, the, this meddling sort of functioned as Trump's primary endorsement, right? Because Trump right. didn't endorse in these right. races. Right. Well, yeah. So I, I know it's a we're we're in an interesting area here because you guys are saying the press can't but report on the truth here about inflation. And I think that the question is one of emphasis, which is um when the top line number came in worse than people expected, but better than 8.6%, which was the low, which is the higher low water mark a couple of months ago, the first impulse was to say inflation continues to slow. And then people looked at the numbers and said, if you just take gas prices out, inflation ain't slowing. Inflation is accelerating. Uh, and yes, gas prices are the most visible thing because people drive down the street and see the number, uh, you know, on a on a on a sign. And on every gas station, there is that number glowing there when it's five dollars, like your heart sinks. And if it's three and a half dollars, that's in a category that you can understand. Right. That's sort of like within the realm of the relatively normal, even if that's very expensive gas. And so you're like, oh, great. Well, gas prices are down. This is, you know, America's going to feel. A lot better and once again we have the, the the fact that you know most uh most very high-end people are now using you know instacart and uh and uh are using a credit card and not really looking at the bottom line as they order their food to be delivered to them in 
buy fresh direct in Manhattan or Instacart or whatever the shopping services are elsewhere. And then you have all sorts of other people who are at the gap, who are at the, who are at the cash register having a heart attack. Um, and you know, this is like a very, very serious business. Like it people isn't, are not... it isn't just that the white house is approaching the inflation issue with flippancy and callousness, which is what that inflation party was, but they're also sort of insulting your intelligence in ways that, that I think people who are in the business of talking about this stuff for a living kind of resent um, because you're not being, you're not getting anything that you can hang your hat on and repeat with a straight face. Biden's statement yesterday was absolutely ridiculous, utterly contradictory and insulting. He said, quote, overall prices have been essentially flat in our country these last two months, which is completely not true. It's a bold faced lie. But a sentence later, he says, we saw some price increases slow from the month before at the grocery store. So either prices are flat or they're growing slightly slower. He said inflation adjusted wages had declined or had had grown. Real wages had grown for a second month in a row. They declined by 3% in July. Inflation adjusted wages declined by 3% in July vis-a-vis inflation. And real hourly earnings for all employees increased by just 0.02% seasonally adjusted, which is negligible. That's zero. That's flat. Um, And then you had Karine Jean-Pierre, who I don't think we can hold our fire against anymore, flat out lying to people saying the prices are flat. Um, it's, it's, an, it's an invitation to do the job. I don't know how you resist that temptation. There's no political incentive here for you to avoid saying, all right, well, this is I'm being straight up lied to right now. Because they're going to take your abortions away and they're going to threaten democracy. And there is a you higher rationalize calling. yourself into it. Sure. But your initial emotional response to being just led by the nose down the primrose path here is to be insulted by it and to and to well, correct. Yeah, the people I, who are I don't know that that's your intelligence. Well, Abe. and look at look at the look at the uh, sorry. Go ahead. Abe. Well, I'm just I'm with Noah, because if you remember uh, the White House here, they were thrown a lifeline. The press was kind of done with them right before all this, right before all this, were all the stories about how Biden's too old, how there are all sorts of rumblings coming out of the the Democratic Party about who's going to replace him, about their panic, about about his agenda, about his frustration because because of the way they're handling because he's too old. And then they turned on a dime because they because they had something. They had this supposed success, this supposed uh, turnaround in fortunes. It was always really shallow and and. Uh, taken up by what what had proved already to have been a kind of pretty fickle press Praetorian guard. Well, and if you look look at a look at some of the particular races right now and what the voters are still saying at these local races, what they care about, right? So in Pennsylvania, there was a YouGov poll, and here are the top the top three issues. Eighty percent of what voters the very important issues to voters in Pennsylvania, likely voters. 80% economy, 77% inflation, 65% crime. Those are the top three. Then you've got election issues, guns, and last, abortion. Now, 56% of the voters are concerned about abortion. That's not a small number, but that 80 and 80% is economy and 77% inflation. 
that that's what voters are thinking about. That's that's what affects their daily lives. And while abortion is a very important issue, it's not something that that I think the the press could overreach here by by trying to distract people from from the bottom line kitchen table issues by just and and you see it today. John's absolutely right. All these stories are about all, all the major stories, Politico, elsewhere. Lindsey Graham's abortion ban. Lindsey Graham's abortion ban. I'm not sure that has is going to be enough to answer the next few months of of uh, campaigning for voters. So on the on the uh, on MSNBC's digital show Meet the Press, I was on yesterday and before my segment, uh, Dana Nessel, the secretary, <clears throat> I think the secretary of state of Michigan, um, or the lieutenant governor. So I would, like she's a she's a senior Democrat in Michigan. Um, and uh, and very beloved uh, now of, the, of, of, of progressives uh, was on and talking about abortion. And she said something like, look, inflation comes and goes, but your, your right to an abortion or removing your right to abortion is forever. Now, so, you know, we can talk about inflation all we want, but, you know, this is this is one bite at the apple. They've taken away our right to abortion and like, you know, now we have to fight for it. That impulse on the part of Democrats, um, again, I think we're back in the, I don't know if this is the only way to go because you have a bad hand on inflation or if they if they don't understand what they sound like and if they get comfortable saying stuff like inflation may come and go or inflation is, you know, inflation is now, but abortion rights are forever. Um that insensitivity, that whole thing that has Republicans have generally been hammered on uh, for the last 40 years and not Democrats, right? Which is George H.W. Bush not knowing what a supermarket scanner is or, you know, saying there isn't a recession when there is a recession, although there wasn't when he said there wasn't uh, and stuff like that and how he's not really feeling everybody's pain. And then Clinton started saying, I'm feeling your pain. And all that, but it's been a classic thing to say Republicans are clueless about the economic concerns of ordinary people. And so much so that the entire George W. Bush campaign in 2000 was directed toward the economic concerns of ordinary people in order to crush this impression, right? It was it was the waitress, the single mom waitress. How was he, how was electing George W. Bush going to help a single mom who was a waitress? With two kids, what were his economic policies going to do to help her? That was the key message in some ways of the 2000 campaign of George W. Bush. So Republicans have been dealing with this and thinking about this forever. And of course, Trump then took this to the next level with the you're all forgotten. They all not only do they not pay attention to you or try to help you with your economic goals, they hate you. They hate you and they want to kill you and they don't care and they're they're shipping their jobs overseas so they can get rich and you and you're a victim and it's all terrible and now democrats are doing this let them eat cake now it's democrats who are doing this let them eat cake business like maybe you can't just say look we know people are hurting and we're doing everything we can right i mean uh because that just doesn't sound sufficient or to say, you know, there are multifarious reasons for this kind of inflationary spiral, even though there really aren't. It's a $6 trillion in spending and, you know, in 12 months, that's really responsible. Uh, but <clears throat> you say what you can say, but their impulse is to say, don't pay attention to this, pay attention to that. And I, I don't know, it's very, it's very 
risky. Like Abe, yesterday when you were watching the Biden, you were watching the Biden Palooza, you were like, they've gone effing crazy. This is effing crazy. What do they yeah, think they're is, doing? But I think this is only the most recent example. It's like they, they got a little bit of good news and they went crazy with it. I mean, this is this is on top of, you know, uh, uh, Biden's Independence Hall rally, you know, against uh, against uh, Trump, MAGA Republicans. Uh, they had they had uh, Kamala Harris on Meet the Press on uh, uh, over the, on 9-11. Um, she's out there, you know, speaking boldly, which is you know something they've they've, they've tried to avoid uh, for for good reason. Uh, before they 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 have been happy talking uh, uh, the economy uh, now for ages, and uh, they got way out ahead of themselves here, and. It's like they were so hungry for one piece of good news. They had to take it and run and go crazy and say, here's James Taylor. Let's go. Let's 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 do it. Yeah, let's have James Taylor sing, sing a about song about suicide, suicide. Yeah. and drug addiction, because, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do people that may not know this, but so James Taylor was at the White House, which itself is an interesting, you know, because that's what you really need is a 92 year old ex heroin addict singing on the white house lawn but fine. sassy fedora though he really he had the fedora <laughs> yeah he had the fedora i mean i was just reminded of the fact that when i was in high school james i was looking at james taylor and thinking how how every uh teenage girl in my high school in the mid 1970s had james taylor's picture in their locker like he was he also- was the dreamboat you know, he was the dreamboat uh, pop rock star and there he was like i don't know what what did he look like he looked like uh I don't know, you know, like a guy in Naples on the golf course, but uh, singing a song about suicide. It's also like he didn't sing. You've got a friend. He didn't sing. Uh, he sang. You got a friend when John Kerry took him to 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 France, Paris. That's right. Yeah. To to to. Yeah. Patch over a, a, a diplomatic problem. Yeah. It's also I'm going to use a term in a context that I hate and I've okay. never use. And but I'm, I, I have to say, because I thought this yesterday. It's kind of like the whitest version of of celebration and happiness imaginable, you know, which I think is just particularly interesting. Taylor. Yes, to have James coming out of this crew, you know. Yeah. I I mean, frankly, that that was the most baffling and comic moment of the because I don't know who that was for. It was like Mr. President <laughs> is like, let's get James. T- I love that James Taylor. You know, I don't. It's just like, what was he doing here? Like, who is that? I mean, there is a there is a PBS special that they run during during pledge pledge week, uh, which is James Taylor uh, James Taylor concert was recorded at ten or fifteen years ago, and it's one of my favorite comic moments. Even though I am actually this person. Uh, that I'm about to describe, but so it's James Taylor and he sings "How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You" and mocking whatever he sings his greatest hits, and they keep cutting to the audience, and there would be would be a couple in the audience, you know, and he's they're like 65, and he's got a he's bald, but he's got a ponytail, and I'm talking about not just one couple, like hundreds of different couples in the cutaways, and she's 
you know, got a peasant dress on with some kind of a batik, you know, like a batik thing. And she's got some kind of like Indian necklace and he's got his arm around her and they're just swaying back and forth and back and forth. Perfect PBS pledge drive, 65 year olds now cut away and like get yourself your tote bag and send, you know, $20 a month to the station and um, at, like I say, I'm now like one of those people. I mean, I'm like, I went to a Billy, you know, I've been to, it, and it is the whitest, these acts, these oldies acts, Billy Joel, I was at a Genesis concert. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say like Billy way Joel wider than Magic. This concert. is a safe space, yeah. John. You can confess all your yeah. <laughs> old music. No, I, 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 I saw, I saw Phil Collins. I, I saw Elton John. Like, I mean, you know, basically Madison Square Garden and it's 20,000 white people. Okay, but the the thing is, I think I think Abe's on to something else here, though, because it was white, but it was very coastal grandmother white, right? It was elite, rich. I have a beach house, white, and James Taylor fits into exactly that right. aesthetic. Now it's how the aging hippies actually sat on their brownstone, and now they're rich, and so they have a place <laughs> in the Hamptons, and the women wear all linen, and they still sway to the beats, but it's very much an elite uh, indulgence, right? right. I just think the fire, the choice of fire and rain was. I mean, if 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 things go really badly for Democrats in November, we are going to look back on the decision to make the theme song of September twelfth at the White House fire and rain just as a kind of perfect metaphor for what they had walked into. But um, you know that is also conditional on what happens in November. What is not conditional uh, about either November or whatever uh, is. Um, uh, what we need to talk about in relation to your HR problems. You have HR problems. Everybody's got HR problems because it's hard to run a it's hard to run a business, and your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. And that's why I'm talking to you about Bambi. Okay, Bambi. If you let's say you get a complaint because someone on your team smells horrible, like somebody on on somebody, it's like, what do we do? Some guy doesn't shower, bathe, or something like that when we're getting together. Is there an HR policy for that? What do you do? Talk to Bambi. Bambi provides you with documented policies off the shelf that to help structure uh, an HR regime that works, is fair, and works for you. And doesn't cost you the salary of a full-time HR employee of $80,000 a month or more. Bambi's policies start at $99 a month. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. So onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Schedule your first, your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Go to Bambi.com right now and type in Commentary Magazine under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help our show. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, type in Commentary Magazine. Um, so let's talk about uh, the fact that uh, whatever we want to say here, these primaries, the previous primaries all over the country, um, the Republican Party is Trump's party. It just is. That's or it is a it is either Trump's party or it is a Trumpian party. We have the thing that you have to pay fealty to in order to get the grassroots of the Republican Party to support you is that 
there was something kinky, kinky or worse about the 2020 election. Either it was it was either it was stolen or uh, there was a lot of fraud or it was bad or whatever. Um, and uh, that is not an issue like that. It, of course, it's an issue. Like it's an issue to say there's a lot of voter fraud or something like that. But this is not how people live, what they need, where what, what is the what is the future direction of the country. This is, you know, uniquely backward looking and and is a cause. It's almost like a kind of um, bill of attainder. Uh, you know, the bill of attainder is a law that basically focuses on an individual human being. You know, you write a law that says, um, you know, uh, Abe Greenwald needs to go to jail. That's a bill of attainder. Sixth Amendment forbids bills of attainder. Um, but we have here an issue that's like a bill of attainder because it applies really only to one person. Now, the claim might be that, you know, election theft means that they can do it in perpetuity once they've established how to do it. And so every Republican can lose. Um, you do have these bizarre moments when Republicans lose in Republican primaries and then say that, uh, like Laura Loomer, uh, the psychotic, who I'm very glad to say has converted from Judaism to Catholicism so we can be the hell rid of her, um, said that she lost her primary uh, because of voter fraud in a Republican primary. Uh, so it's a, you know, off the shelf thing. But, um, you know, I mean, there's just no question that that there is no Republican Party apart from Trump right now, at least, you know, or at least, you know, the forces in the Republican Party that might want to move on from Trump uh, are not strong enough to contend with the forces in the Republican Party that want to continue to focus on Trump. Uh, Noah, you, you've been, I mean, you, you have been, until really Mar-a-Lago, I think you were pretty sanguine about the possibility that Republicans were, were ready to move on in some fashion. Yeah, in some fashion is right. Like, what is the fashion? So it was never Trump's affectation or this really low stakes buy-in that you have to say that, well, you know, something weird happened in 2020, um, especially since when rubber meets the road, what are you going to do about it? Very few of these candidates are actually, with the exception of people like Doug Mastriano, who are real true believers and really want everybody to re-register and really think that, you know, there are nefarious elements in the Secretary of State's office. Very few of them actually. In, in, intend on acting that way so it's much more of a a presence a, a mean uh a demeanor uh and which is easy i mean that's just play acting um and that's the the you know price of admission as far as i saw it post mag post um mar-a-lago yeah you had this renewed sense that dominated the republican party in january of 2020 that the president had been robbed, that something had been done to him that was very unfair by the powers that be, which triggers in Republican voters all these other sentiments about their own lives and their own, the own, their own opportunities that have been taken from them by nefarious forces and cultural powers that are arrayed against them in ways that are they're unassailable, you're ubiquitous, but unseen. So all of this was triggered again by Mar-a-Lago. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and you know, we were saying, you were saying, I'm skeptical of it, that the special master is the best thing that can happen to Donald Trump. I don't know. In the weeks since, 
we've kind of settled into a stasis here where we're in a very procedural phase that could go on for a very long time. There's not a lot of news coming out of this investigation. The sense of alienation that drove Republicans to back to the orbit of Donald Trump that they've been drifting out of is sort of fading. And it just creates the impression, the lasting impression in the minds of the vast majority of voters that you know, this guy is a liability, that he's an electoral liability. Now, maybe that sinks in over the next couple of months. I don't know. I mean, the best thing that could have happened to, to Republicans from the perspective of, uh, well, can we get away from Trump, is that a lot of them would lose, frankly. Uh, I don't think the environment's going to support that. I think the environment is going to drag a lot of these very flawed candidates over the uh, finish line, and there'll be plenty of room to craft a narrative that, well, Republicans won because they're this nationalist populist vehicle now. Whether that's true or not, that's the narrative that will be promoted, uh, and it'll be parroted by the people with the biggest microphones on the right. So, oh, yeah, you, and, no and the biggest that. microphones on the left, also. Abe's and left. Well, no, you said something interesting. You said that, that you know, so part of it is uh, demeanor, and that's just uh, play acting, and that's easy. And I'm not so sure it's easy in the sense that um, it feels very good to be a jerk, and. Uh, Part of what would be required for for to get the Republicans to sort of drop this would be some sort of process of, sort of re-civilizing them in terms of their political conduct. And <laughs> I'm uh, sure they'll respond well to that. What, so what? Who, who, civilized I mean, in our re-civilizing camps? No, 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 no. I, I, I mean, I think that that's 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 the way Abe's framing it in terms of this question of like. I fully agree. Yeah. Well, I think I think what you're responding to, I think it's fair to say, right, is was this fact that Dave Reboy, who is this um, lunatic uh, or increasing lunatic on the right, uh, uh, very proudly tweeted that he went up to Jonathan Shape, the uh, admittedly obnoxious um, and uh, ad hominem and kind of loathsome uh, columnist for the uh, for New York Magazine <clears throat> at the NatCon conference and. Uh, and basically said, I told him what I thought of it. Like, and look, he's sitting, you know, I, 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 you know, like he sort of got, went up and just abused the guy who was sitting alone by himself. Oh, but it's, but it's not just Reboy. It's everyone. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's frankly, it's Trump and it's Matt Gates and yeah. it's, and it's, and it's, it's the whole fan base. And it's a, there is the, it, it will be very hard to sort of take their fun away. This is, this is great fun for anyone who's involved in this is my point. So it's not, it's not, it's one thing to sort of get someone to shift ideologically. It's another thing to get them to sort of uh, behave in ways that they had found so rewarding and would continue to find rewarding because it, it, it is there's there's it's fun to spoil the party once you start doing it. Uh, and that, that's metaphor the metaphorically of, and literally. That's the appeal of the 2020 revanchism stuff, I think, for most of the people who don't actually intend to relitigate the 2020 election if they were to ever win office, is that it offends the right sensibilities, it offends elite sentiments in in ways that communicate your willingness to, uh, you know, just be as you said, the, the fly in the ointment, the uh, the skunk at the garden party. Like that's that's the benefit you get from it. And it's not satisfying to do it by yourself and, you know, go have a burger and be self-satisfied with how rude you were. You have to communicate it. You have to put it on social media and get the negative reactions and the positive reactions. That's the feedback mechanism that triggers whatever whatever pleasure center in the brain being an asshole triggers. But uh, and, and, and being on the losing side doesn't stop it because 
that just means, yay, you succeeded in spoiling the party. Yeah, right. There's no, yeah, there's no way to communicate that this is a losing proposition for you. I mean, the re-civilizing assumes that there is that there is a there is a a civil base to go back to. And I think fairly enough, some of these people would then evince as Carol Markowitz did um on Twitter, like went and dug up this really kind of loathsome quote. People say he's likable. That would make me hate him even more. Uh, you know, I hate the way he talks. I hate the way every the other things that people seem to like about him. And while most people who meet Bush claim to like him, I suspect that if I got to know him personally, I would hate him even more. So Carol says, like, all right, spare me the course and discourse concerns. Like this was 2003, and that was Chait. But I will say that, you know, and so that that's the sort of the the defense is, oh, really? Like they're so great. Like really, they're they they've they've hewed to proper behavior and conduct. Like who was it who said an effigy of of George W. Bush on fire on his lawn in Princeton? Paul Krugman literally said an effigy of the president on fire. Yes, um, this is something that my children do, and it's very frustrating. No, we're talking said about you. Of George w. Your younger Bush brother <laughs> had nothing to do with this. I know your younger brother did something yeah. bad yesterday. We're talking yeah. about you, young man. Yeah, but also well, it's I mean, like yeah, I mean, but it, yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah. So when when when, you know, liberals engage in that kind of thing, it's it's disgusting. It's very bad. Um, and we all say it's very bad when it happens. When conservatives decide to do it as well. Then it's risks being ruinous because now you have no one saying this is bad. Right. And, right. Well, and, 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 and it spirals very quickly from there. And they're not just it's one thing if it's the sort of, you know, but what about both sides is, um, you know, the, the theme of Trump Republicans could be we're not going to take it right. That combative like we're not going to take this line down anymore. Look at us. And the NatCons have that theme running through a lot of their rhetoric as well. But the difference is they also attack fellow conservatives constantly. There's that obnoxious guy who I think he's the one who catcalled AOC. But then he chased down Dan Crenshaw the other day and was like harassing him for his military service. And I cannot I mean, I don't think anyone would have uh felt bad if Crenshaw had knocked him over with a single punch, which he clearly was capable of doing, but didn't. He just took it. You know, he's just like, whatever. But that kind of behavior, the sort of in real life, in real time trolling is new. And, they, and, and they're doing it in a way that's extremely disgusting, I think. Um, the left has a version of it, but the but the righteous anger stuff is both sides have done for a long time. I think John's right to point out that that old Chate quote. But the the kind of in real time harassment of your own team is weird. And I think Noah's right. They, they don't care if the whole party blows up. Crenshaw gets it in a way that John McCain used to get it. And I yeah. don't think that's an accident. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. There is there is a. These people, because Dan Crenshaw is, is a principled conservative and a, a fun guy, he's like a nice, likable, normal guy who doesn't take things too seriously. And he's actually an accomplished veteran who really can murder you with his hands if he wanted to. He communicates something to these people that they will never be. You know, I, I mean, I think that's a very, that's a very salient point. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very... I think there were these moments, right? I mean, I think the the first moment of the first Republican debate in 2015, when 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 Trump went so personal so fast at, at Jeb, 
and you really had never seen anything like that before i mean we just hadn't like it was a new thing in politics that was why we were like well he can't really can't win can't win like this like people are gonna be revolted and in fact it was more like you know the pandora's box opening but it was this moment when ted cruz was on the campaign trail i don't know where he was uh and he was, you know, talking to voters in a scrum. And this guy, you know, he was saying, this guy started saying, lying Ted. You just lie in Ted. And Cruz is like, no, let me explain to you why it is that, you know, we need to do that. Lying Ted. It was just, you know, and it's like, you've never seen that kind of behavior, like in social settings you would never see that kind of behavior. You know, it's like social media behavior. It's like Twitter behavior sometimes or, you know, whatever. But it was so confrontational and it was so, dis- it was so uncomfortable. And I think there were people who watched then when, and, and something brought, not that or versions of that, and something broke in them where it was like, well, I can do this. Well, you know, that's why I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm being given permission to do this. Whereas like somebody like me, like, I, even though I'm a pretty confrontational person and I've had verbal confrontations with people like I was, I wanted to go crawl, you know, under a table because it was so awful to watch. But that's that when people say Twitter's not real life and politics, they're right to a point. But I think what we're seeing is Twitter like behavior leaching into real world behavior in a way that it didn't at the beginning of the social media heyday and is now becoming, unfortunately, that coarsened commonplace way that people react. The kind of heckling that one would only do behind the safety of one screen is now been and Trump obviously plays a great role in this, has been completely normalized. And that's bad for all all of us as for a healthy democracy that's bad that's that's not how we want to have discussions that by the way just to be clear that's what i mean when i say re-civilized i don't mean yeah. turn from savages into into citizens I, I i mean i mean reacquainting them with with the the rules of civility you know that is that is entirely yeah. what's gone and 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 my point is it's not so easy to regain no, I think it's almost impossible to regain. Right. And that's why and that's why we are talking about <clears throat> you know, we've moved into a different kind of, of 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 political era in which um compromise and conciliation and the idea of, you know, like or even just mutual assured destruction, like you don't want to behave this way toward somebody else because somebody else will behave that way toward you. And, you know, it's it's like the um it's like the logic behind the concealed carry law, which is if you don't know if somebody has a gun, if you know someone's going to have a gun and is it going to turn it on you, maybe you will, you know, you will behave or something like that. But it's basically the the social compact altogether is you have no idea whether the person, and we see this in crime in New York all the time now, which is you don't know if the person that you are looking at is going to say who are you looking at if you just look at them and then is going to like come at you with a box cutter so you know you better keep your eyes down or don't get you know and like this is the thing you don't you live in a in a in a form of um you, you stay inside boundaries to protect yourself and to protect others and when the boundaries break down you don't know what's you don't know what's going to happen, which, by the way, is a good moment for me to talk to you about 
David Bonson and the Bonson Group, uh, $4 billion under management. Um, you may want to look uh, at the Bonson Group. Go go to his website. Take a look at uh, what they do and how they and how they do what they do. David uh, uses dividend growth uh, to protect client capital, um, and he uh, it's very important as 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 we live in this moment of runaway inflation to understand that the larger geopolitical and um, macroeconomic trends may be going in a wildly different direction that you need to take some notice of in order to figure out how best to husband your resources, protect them, and make them grow. David is a believer that we are in a long-term deflationary moment or deflationary era uh, that is being covered up by this, not, he wouldn't call it transitory, but, you know, but by the, by this kind of flood of sugar high spending um, but that uh, in in many essential ways, uh, what we are seeing is a deceleration on the on on the uh, in the model of of, of Japan uh, from from the 1990s onward. And uh, if we if you need to uh, take account of that and figure out how to invest your your money, um, you you're not getting a lot of guidance in that way from other investment companies. So go to bonson.com, take a look, read David's stuff at dividendcafe.com and uh uh and his um dctoday.com newsletter. Uh the uh this is a uh this is some of the best advice that I can give you is uh he's been very helpful uh to me in uh, in helping me understand the larger aspects of the world economy and he will be helpful to you. So that's Bonson.com, B-A-H-N-S-E-N.com. We cycle back real quick to the Democrats yeah. hubris just to close on this. I think everybody in this audience knows I'm not an especially religious man, but how would they know that? Well, I just don't do a lot of talking about it. When the subject comes up, I kind of recede into the woodwork. Um, but the tempting of the fates here on the part of Democrats, there's an element of divinity to what happened yesterday, to to schedule this real insult to the fates, and then to be greeted with this really humiliating news, and then to have to trudge through it uh, in a soul crushing way is is to me cosmic in a way that I that is it suggests a meteor, auguries, omens, portents, dire, and on the horizon is this really terrifying rail strike which could happen on Friday. If nothing if nothing changes, there will be a rail strike on Friday. Already, the railways have stopped carrying hazardous fertilizers. Um, and we're looking down the barrel of uh, reduced transit for basic foodstuffs, which isn't food to the grocery stores, food for livestock. And then ultimately trickles up the economic chain, contributes to inflation, contributes to shortages, contributes to hardships. The president has already staved off this strike with an executive order 60 days ago. Congress has said point blank leadership in both chambers have said they have no interest in intervening. Um, the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, is nowhere to be found. He's dropped off the face of the earth. He's in the witness protection program. He has oh, this two seems children. Don't you understand? He has twins. He has twins, Noah. I'm rolling my eyes. Massive epic eye roll right now as a mother of twins. But go on. I mean, we're just... <laughs> Entropically, 
heading towards this catastrophe. And, you know, cooler heads probably will prevail, but not necessarily. And certainly, perhaps you could have a very short live strike that has a, a quick, immediate effect in the economy in ways that really focus the public's mind back on shortages and rising prices. I mean, what, what doesn't move on rail? Everything will go up. Um, and it's just, you know, Democrats have tempted the fates. But no, the you gods know gave them this Trump cycle. <laughs> and what the gods give, they can repossess. Well, they also uh, don't forget that during this whole debacle yesterday, there was a lot of soul talk from Biden again. But on this issue of food prices going up, particularly livestock prices, I can very well see plenty, plenty of left leaning folks saying they 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 will take the sign or the portent omen very differently. Noah, they'll say, just like with with oil, we need to go to greener efforts, you know, with solar panels and electric cars, they'll say, we shouldn't be eating so much beef and meat, we should be going more vegetarian, it's healthier. Anyway, this, you, you'll see so, that messaging, we'll, we should eat bugs, we've already seen oh, that. Yeah. Too. There will definitely be that. But Karine Jean Pierre, I mean, that's long term, the urgent, the urgency of the crisis, Karine Jean Pierre said today that they're, or yesterday that they're looking at ways around this um, air transit, you know, drafting truckers, we have a trucker shortage in this country, where are these truckers coming from, all of a sudden, you're going to have this Berlin airlift around the country just to get you, you know, cereal in your grocery store. I mean, the, the chaos of that, the absolute incompetence on a just an elementary level of just basic governance uh, would be catastrophic politically. Well, and it's not just uh, uh, the risk of, of prices continuing to go up. It's it's more shortages of 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 goods and that's you know that's that's a deadly story listen uh democrats have uh have great historical experience with railroad strikes harry truman was bedeviled by railroad strikes during his two terms or his term and a half uh as president and in 1950 because a railroad strike was being declared and we had already gone into korea he actually ordered the military to seize American railroads um, uh, to in order to ensure uh, the prompt and continued delivery of goods across the country uh, because this was an emergency power he was activating um, uh, because we were at war. Um, but there was a strike in 46. This is a very, very serious business. Like, and obviously we are much less dependent on rail than we were then. I mean, among other things, there wasn't a, an interstate highway system yet. Um, but uh, we are still wildly dependent on rail, particularly, by the way, for 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 energy. I mean, uh, you want you want to you want to see gas prices start going up again. Uh, you know, uh, this interrupts this interrupts the delivery of of of, of, of energy in some ways in some places. Um, Anyway, I, I just think it's a very interesting thing because this also provides this provides Biden with an opportunity to show that he's a hard ass um, uh, if the unions, you know, if, if he said, look, you can't do this and they they go ahead and strike anyway. I would love to see Joe Biden turn on organized labor uh, for the benefit of the country. But look, I mean, it was a much harder for Truman. I mean, to be fair, like first of all, much more. Well, I don't know. Was unionized. What Roosevelt nationalized the the mines, right? I mean, there was there was some appetite for this sort of thing. 
No, I'm saying, well, there, by the way, the last time that the federal government really intervened heavily in a, in a, in a, in a paralyzing strike, right. Was when Reagan fired the air traffic controllers in 1981, which turned out to be a hugely popular event, which nobody could have predicted, but it was one of these moments at which the, 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 the strikers had miscalculated that their you know, ability to sort of blackmail, get their way through blackmail by shutting down the air travel system. And the president of the United States said, you, I'm sorry, you are not doing that. And we're not negotiating with you. You are fired and we're going to hire all new air traffic controllers uh, was, was, was pretty striking. Anyway, I'm just saying like uh, everything old is new again. Democratic presidents have been bedeviled by railroad strikes before. And yeah, so that's also part of the karma. You said you're not a religious man. What you're describing there is not religion as uh, it's more paganism, so I think you're not a pagan. Uh, but um, I think no one would have assumed, no, that you were a pagan. Very, very, very not. not, not They're getting pagan. recognized more and more. <laughs> All right, we'll be back tomorrow for Abe, Christina, and Noam, John Podhoretz, Keep the Candle Burning.